Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Mo El Shazli. He's a cardiologist and co-founder of Ember Medical. Mo, welcome to the show. Hey, Kevin. How are you? Thank you for having me on your show, and uh, happy holidays to you and your uh, listeners. Yeah, of course. You too, man. I'm I'm excited to have you on the show today. I think what you guys are doing at uh, Ember Medical is very important and much needed. But maybe before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Yes, sure. I would love uh, to chat about that a little bit. So sure. uh, I'm originally from uh, Egypt, uh, but I grew up in uh, Qatar. Very cool. Uh, I went to medical school here at Cornell. Okay. And yes, Cornell University has a branch in Qatar that opened up in 2001, in case Very anyone cool. was wondering. No, that's interesting. That's, that's quite cool. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's uh, I actually was a part of the third batch to graduate from here. Oh, cool! Um, so I graduated when I was uh, became a doctor when I was twenty two years old. Okay. And then uh, moved to the U.S. So uh, then I went to uh, did my medicine residency at Hopkins in Baltimore. Very cool. Uh, and then went to the Cleveland Clinic where I did a fellowship in cardiology and cardiac electrophysiology at the Cleveland Clinic. Okay. So what and made then, you? Sorry. Um, what made you want to be a doctor? Uh, well, so, uh, it started with my father, he's okay. a pediatrician gotcha. uh, and my mom is a dentist. So that's how I got interested gotcha. in medicine. Sure. But then of course, you know, as time moved by, uh, you know, I just felt that, you know, I was meant to be a doctor and, uh, I do not regret it at all. No, that's great, man. So walk me through what exactly is Ember Medical and why did you decide to start it up? All right. So uh, back when I was in Baltimore okay. uh, in around 2012 or so, um, I had a neighbor uh, two floors below me uh, in my building who had a cardiac arrest. Oh, and wow. just, yeah, to uh, make sure everyone knows what cardiac arrest is when your heart stops uh, pumping blood effectively and you pass out. Okay. Um, and Unfortunately, the ambulance got there later, around 15 minutes late, wow. and it was too late, and my neighbor was dead. Um, and it, it struck me, you know, because, you know, I was very frustrated because, you know, like I was there, I could have gone down, done some CPR, maybe even found a defibrillator, uh, but I couldn't because there was no way for me to know that someone needed my help. Sure. Uh, and the same thing for the neighbor's family. They also you know, didn't know what to do. They had no clue that a doctor or someone who knew how to do CPR just lived like, you know, two floors above them. Sure. Uh, so that kind of frustrated me. And then fast forward, you know, to around 2017, I was chatting with my cousin, uh, Shadi, who is the CEO of Ember. Okay. And uh, he was telling me about a story of his a friend who passed out of cardiac arrest when he was 17. Wow. Um, and he was telling me the story and he was like, you know what, he passed, passed away and, um, and he just, you know, his father saw him pass out in front of him and he didn't know what to do. And wow. by the time the ambulance got there, it was too late. Wow, that's and I really was like, sad. 
Yeah, exactly. And I was like, you know what, Chari, I think if someone had known how to do CPR and defibrillation was close by, they could have saved their life. Sure. And then this was around the time when there was this um, wave of technology coming out, right? So smartphones have become ubiquitous around the world. Sure. G- GPS technology was also becoming, you know, wonderful. Sure. And then also Uber and other ride-sharing apps such as Lyft uh, have are were becoming uh, 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 very popular. Sure. Um, and it felt like it was the right time to kind of figure out a platform that you know, connects people having medical emergencies to nearby medical professionals who can provide help faster than ambulance. Interesting. So, yep. So that seemed that right, like the right time. So we wanted to start by tackling sudden cardiac arrest, okay. uh, of course, because I'm a cardiologist and it's one of the most devastating emergencies. So cardiac arrest affects around 350,000 Americans every year. Wow. So that is one every 90 seconds. Crazy. Uh, yeah, and, and to put that in perspective, um, 40,000 people in the U.S. die of car accidents and 1,000, sorry, and around 4,000 die of house fires. So wow. cardiac arrest death is 10 times in magnitude more than car accidents. Wow. And you know what the, the survival rate is? Can you guess? Mm, it's got to be pretty low. It is 10%. Wow. So in the 21st century, we still have a disease that, you know, kills around 90% of people who suffer from arrest. And it can also, it's very unpredictable, right? It can affect sure. anyone, anywhere, and anytime. There's all these stories about athletes, young people having cardiac arrest. And, you know, some of them are lucky enough to have a defibrillator and a first responder close by. And, but most of people are not lucky enough to have someone close by. Interesting. So, yeah, so, so really then when you dive deeper into the problem, you find out that, so, so the brain uh, cannot survive without blood uh, flow for around five, for more than five minutes. Okay. So if there is no blood going to the brain for more than five minutes, you know, you're, there's a very high chance you're going to be brain dead. Wow. Um, and surprisingly, ambulance response times in the U.S. and globally is around five to ten minutes. Okay, so just right? too late, right? Exactly. Um, so, so, and again, in the U.S., it's actually eight to fifteen minutes. So, in most times, it is very late. Wow. So, if you like most other people, you know, are relying on an ambulance to save your life, you know, we we you have to think again. Um, and we, you know, we kept looking, diving deeper into it, and we found that, you know, this is a it's a problem that's related to traffic, you know, decreased funding for EMS systems. Right. It's always hard to get more ambulances on the road. And even if you do, you're always limited by traffic and like, you know, uh, uh, overcrowded cities and all that stuff. Sure. So it's a problem that, you know, unfortunately, it's not going to get any better. And then there's other layers to the problem too. But in general, that is the biggest problem. Okay. So we're like, you know what? This is a devastating problem. It can happen to anyone, anywhere, anytime. Um, and we have the technology right now that can allow us to connect, um, victims of sudden cardiac arrest to nearby medical professionals who can deliver CPR and defibrillation faster than an ambulance. Wow. And that became the essence of what we wanted to do. Okay. So how does it exactly work? So here's how it works. So there are multiple ways to 
activate our platform. So again, our platform consists of all these medical professionals. These are doctors, nurses, paramedics who know how to do CPR, high quality CPR and defibrillation. Sure. And think of it in this way. So we crowdsource these CPR trained individuals to cardiac arrest victims in the same way Lyft or Uber crowdsources drivers. So gotcha. what happens is someone has a cardiac arrest, so passes out <clears throat> at home in front of his family members or on the street in front of bystanders, people would <clears throat> take out their phone, press kind of a help button uh, through our app, and that takes them through one question asking them if the patient is unconscious. Okay. And if the answer is yes, then what we do for them is we call 911 and simultaneously send out a message to medical professionals within a five-minute walking distance. So they're usually people who are around, let's say in the mall or the same apartment building or you know close to you or driving somewhere or in a nearby grocery store or something. And they come running to you <clears throat> so that they get to you and can start CPR and defibrillation before the ambulance arrives. Okay, interesting. So that's how we that's how we envision this working. Okay. Um, and there is other ways to activate the platform through so through voice commands. You can also shout something like "Help Ember," and okay. that activates the platform. Uh, and then we're also working on some uh, uh, um, uh, methods to activate it through wearable devices like smartwatches. Sure. So we're trying to integrate with some uh, smart wearable devices that can detect cardiac arrest automatically. So okay. in case someone's alone, our system can be activated. Uh, and also, you know, people can press the button on their smartphone, et cetera. Sorry, on their smart wearable, et cetera. No, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's, that's really awesome that you guys are building this. But I'm curious to know where you guys are at. Can people, I, I know people can download the app, but where yes. are you guys kind of at in the process right now of uh, launching and rolling this thing out? Yep. So we we started uh, the company in July. Okay. Uh, we uh, we got accepted into Indie Bio uh, Accelerator uh, in San Francisco. Oh, very cool! And man. Congrats on that. That's huge. Th thank you. Uh, so there we so since then we've been building the the app. So now we have both apps available on both stores. Okay. Uh, however, what's active right now is the Medics app. So the way we're doing this is we're doing it in steps. So the first thing we're trying to do okay. is recruit as many medical professionals as possible got you Makes and sense. yeah so it's it's kind of like again how uber lyft started you want to yep. build a nice platform of drivers yeah so that's what we're working on right now we're focused on recruiting people in the northern california area particularly san Mateo county got you uh and the plan is we're actually working with san Mateo ems so that cool. they so initially what we want to do is run a pilot where they are getting most of the calls from cardiac arrest victims, right? So right, right. now, anyone witnesses cardiac arrest calls 911. Sure. So what they're gonna do is, once they get a call for 911, they're gonna send an ambulance, but at the same time, they're gonna activate our platform. Oh, very so cool, gonna, that's huge. Exactly, exactly, so we're gonna send our medics to save that victim's life before the ambulance comes. And then we're gonna look at how many lives we're able to save and and uh, and look at how many cardiac arrests are happening and how much, how our platform is effective. And then as we then the next step after that is actually opening up the patient app okay. uh, or the user app on uh, on the app store for download. So 
what's the next step is that people will actually have the user app which can activate our platform. So phase one would be we're getting activated by EMS or 911. Okay. Sure. Phase two is people actually being able to use the user app to activate us and 911. Okay. And so, so just to make it more clear, so this is going to be kind of like the passenger uh, uh, app for Uber. Okay. That's coming next. So we're releasing the driver kind of app, if you will. Sure. Which is going to have medical professionals trying it out. And then once we make sure that's working well, then the next step is to release the passenger app or the, the user app where usually we're going to target, try and sell it or give it to uh, families of patients with cardiovascular disease. Ah, makes a lot of sense. Yep. Okay. Yep. So there's around 92 million people wow. in the U.S. living with cardiovascular disease. Wow. Uh, and we're going to target their families so that each family will have the app on their phone. And again, in this setting of any cardiac arrest or so, they can use it to get help as quickly as possible. Okay. So it, at some point, are you going to build in, uh, and maybe this is a bad example, but I know like the new Apple Watch has fall detection. Are you going to build in something along that in the smartphone or is there a way to put a sensor on somebody's body to know if they're going to or if they're having a cardiac arrest or is that just not really possible yet? No, actually uh, that's a phenomenal question and that's something that we've been thinking about since day 1. Okay. So there are several companies out there that are working on these types of uh, sensors okay. whether it's wearable devices or implantable sensors gotcha. and there is some equipment now that we can use so what our our plan was since a lot of these companies are working on this kind of idea what we wanted to do is actually build that platform so gotcha. if we build that platform our value proposition would be that all these companies that are working on these cardiac arrest detection devices, such as Apple Watch, for example, or sure. other devices, you know, once they build their device, they would still want to work with us because yeah. we provide the rapid response that is faster than EMS. So right now, what Apple does is if it detects a fall, which could be due to various reasons, one of them is cardiac arrest. Sure. What happens is if, uh, if the person does not respond for a minute or so, it automatically calls 911. Right. However, you're still left with the whole problem of 911 being yes, fair too late. Uh, so, so we're working on, you know, integrating with several platforms and plus minus working on our own kind of wearable if nothing else works out well. But so far, right now, there is nothing that has been proven by, in studies to work well for cardiac arrest. But this is our plan in the future. Got you. Okay. Well, and I guess at the end of the day, and it... Even if it works, may, maybe not 100% of the time, but if it works some of the time, that's still better than never, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, okay. And then our, our platform is interesting too because, you know, um, we're, we're also paying the, the medical professionals for every response. Okay, so, so how does that at work? some point, yeah, so, so what happens is once they you know, once they respond to the arrest and do CPR and defibrillation until the ambulance comes in, then they get paid around $500 or so. Wow. So how so did, where does that money come from? So eventually what we want to do is as the user app kind of works, the user app, what we want to do is if we prove that our platform works and saves lives and saves money, because actually what people don't realize is that cardiac arrest costs directly 
around $2.6 billion a year. Wow. That's direct costs related to hospitalization. Sure. And then actually if you, there is, there is a paper that was published that used a specific calculation that the Department of Transportation uses to calculate the uh, cost of lives lost to car accidents. Okay. So they use that same calculation to calculate the cost of lives lost due to cardiac arrest for patients uh, or for, for individuals who are less than 50 years old. Okay. And they found that it's around $400 billion. So that's wow. related to you know, taxes uh, that these people could have paid, et cetera, et cetera. So the, actually the cost of cardiac arrest, to, the, the burden of cardiac arrest to society is tremendous. So as we do pilots that prove that we're saving lives and we're saving money for insurance companies and so on, the way we see this is that insurance companies would be paying for the app uh, for specific individuals who are at high risk of cardiac arrest. Got you. So do you have any insurance companies on board or that's kind of a, a coming? It's, it's a coming okay. kind of, uh, we've been talking to some of them who sure. a lot of have been working with remote monitors and so on and they're interested in the idea. But again, I think it's more of, we're going to start, run some pilot. Yeah, makes sense. Sell it directly to some consumers. And then the next stage would be move to a B2B model with some insurance companies. And that's actually a pretty common kind of uh, model for a lot of digital health companies. Sure. Like almost 60% of digital health companies start in a, a direct-to-consumer model. Makes sense. And then it ends up being 85% of them working with B2B. Uh, so this, it always starts with B2C. And then once you prove your value then you can convert to B2B if you find insurance companies to work with. But that's what we're thinking. No, that's awesome, man. So I'm curious, though, and I, I don't mean it to come across as negative, but how do you deal with if, – if you help somebody and you save their life, I, I know – and you can correct me if I'm wrong – that in a lot of cases, they need to consent to you to save them. Is that actually a real thing? Because it seems crazy to me that if if I go into cardiac arrest, you saved my life, but I never told you or gave you permission to touch me or uh, not inappropriately, just like help me save my life, mm-hmm. I could potentially sue you. Is that a reality or a thing that you guys have to worry about? So, so throughout my experience, you know, in cardiology and all that stuff, yeah. I think this is one of the things that has really been exaggerated out of context uh, okay. in general. Okay. Like you'll talk to people and they're like, oh, what about you know, getting sued, whatever, whatever. But actually it's, 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 uh, it's interesting. It's the, the, I can answer the question in, in multiple, okay. uh, multiple levels. So uh, number one, there are people who sign something called a DNR, do not resuscitate order. Yeah. So these are usually older individuals, have right. multiple diseases, and they acknowledge that their chances of having a good quality of life after cardiac arrest is very low. So they elect not to have to go through that. All right. So this, you know, for example, terminal cancer patients or terminal heart disease patients, et cetera, a lot of them elect to do that. Okay. Okay. So if these people have a signed DNR order that people know about, and that is, let's say they're a nursing home or in a hospital, et cetera. So people know about it, but they still perform CPR or try to resuscitate them. Now they can sue you. For that, okay. or the family can sue you because there's a clear will not to be resuscitated. Got you. However, in reality, most people, you know, especially young, healthy, or people without significant disease, etc., 
they do not have they they do not ask not to be resuscitated. So you can you you know you actually can save them. And then in the U.S., there's something called the Good Samaritan laws. Okay. So Good Samaritan laws are applicable in several uh, uh, county sorry several uh, states uh, in the country. And basically, the Good Samaritan laws protect people um, from getting sued if they save others. Um, so if you with goodwill save someone, you know who's having medical problem, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. The Good Samaritan law protects you from uh, getting sued. So that's one. Okay. So it's basically a non-issue then, it sounds like, right? Or the chances are so low that it's not even worth thinking about. Exactly. And then okay. in reality, when, you know, if if you save someone's life, yeah. even if, you know, something happens like, let's say you fracture a rib while you're doing CPR, I mean, that's a normal complication of okay. cardiac. No one can sue you. Okay. But even if that happens, usually the patient is grateful that their life has been saved. Sure. Uh, so that's one thing. And then the, on the other hand, if, you know, the CPR is unsuccessful and, you know, you cannot save the patient, you know, you have not disrupted the, the usual standard of care, which is the ambulance coming in. You just right. provided extra step you. of So it's hard to have, even if someone sues you, it's really difficult to have a successful lawsuit in this situation because, you know, someone has done their best uh, with good intentions. Okay. No, I, I thought it made sense to cover that just because I, I've heard those like horror stories, but then I've also heard people that are fit and healthy go into cardiac arrest and pass away. And if somebody was around to help them, they could potentially still be here today, which so no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the last thing is we also have like we've been working with lawyers and we also have insurance coverage just in case someone gets into some kind of you know lawsuit or something gotcha. we have all that stuff so we we really care and have put a lot of effort into making sure that our medical professionals are kind of legally protected against uh, any of that stuff no i i think that's really great so i'm curious you you got accepted into this accelerator but how did you fund the first version of ember did you self-fund did you raise a bit of money walk us through that yeah, so actually the accelerator, it's called IndieBio, and it's part of the SOSV accelerator in San Francisco. Right. It's a life sciences accelerator. They take 15 companies every six months okay. in a three to four month program. Uh, and part of the accelerator is getting $250,000 in funding. Okay, uh, very cool. So it's kind of uh, other accelerators like Y Combinator, etc., with more of a biology slash health focus uh, with the money. So that's the kind of the pre-seed money that we got okay, and cool. uh, they, they have a demo day. So we put our CEO Shadi presented uh, on uh, demo day, which was early November. And now we're raising uh, a seed round. Okay. Very cool. To keep uh, going. No, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm curious then to know, can people use Ember for other medical emergencies? Well, that is exactly what we're thinking to do next. So okay. again, the way the way this started, the vision was, you know, we're using this wave of technology yeah. to kind of just completely transform and modernize the way pre-hospital emergency care is delivered. Um, and we just started with sudden cardiac arrest, just given that it's the most devastating and the survival rates are just shockingly and devastatingly low. Uh, so that was a good place to start. Um, okay. And and then what we want to do next is expand to other medical emergencies. So that includes 
other life-threatening medical emergencies. So, for example, we're interested in responding to opioid overdose. Oh, so now sure. there's a, there's a tr you know, uh, as uh, uh, I'm sure you're aware, yeah, uh, yeah, it's been huge in the U.S. over the past few years. Uh, devastating, actually, has because of it, their survival, uh, uh, the the mortality rates in the U.S. have been increasing over the past three four years, um, and. Now there's a push to actually release intranasal uh, uh, naltrexone, which is the antidote uh, to uh, to uh, opioids, if you will. Right. So it's going to be available over the counter. So the way we envision this uh -huh. is that we'll be sending a medical professional to the victim who passed out or is having a significant medical problem, a life-threatening emergency, right. where every minute counts. Sure. And then I imagine a future where we'll be going to be sending a first aid kit to that same location. And that I, I envision a future where we send it through drones. Interesting. And through even maybe things like scooters, you know, like sure. you know, birds and lines all over uh, uh, California right now. Uh, and, you know, we're going to we're thinking of having some stations with these uh, uh, first aid kits and then someone can deliver them to the location. And if this is done efficiently, you know, with good kind of algorithms and so on, we can definitely respond within probably three to five minutes to every uh, medical life-threatening medical emergency there is. Sure. So Interesting. That's, yes. So that's one part of it. Now, the second part of it is the non-life-threatening emergency. So that's a whole other kind of uh, disastrous problem in the U.S. So... You know, um, inappropriate ER visits. So that means that people who go to the ER when they should have not, they should have rather gone to the urgent care or seen the primary care physician. Sure, like if they have a rash or something, I've been in the exactly. ER before where somebody's just waiting and you're like, well, you just have, like, you're going to just get like a cream for that, <laughs> right? Exactly. Like, yeah, exactly, okay. exactly. So this constitutes, depending on the study, around 40 to 70% of ER visits. So that high? Yes, it is wow. ridiculous. It, wow. It's an 18, $18 billion dollar problem every year. Wow. And of course, you know, other than the money that's wasted, it stresses the uh, ER systems, sure. increases the waiting times in the ERs. Yeah, okay, people like people that really know, need it, right? Exactly. Yeah. And takes away help from people who need it. So that's one side where a lot of people are going to the ER when they should have not. Besides, what people don't realize is an ER visit on average costs $1,500. Wow. If you had gone to urgent care instead, that would have been on average $100. Oh, wow. I didn't yes. realize the difference. No, it's ridiculous in the U.S. It's a ridiculous problem. There, we've done some surveys and there were stories from, pe from people who were in Vegas and you know had a strep throat, went to the ER, and they got a $4,000 bill. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a ridiculous problem. And people don't really realize it. you know. Uh, but even some insurance companies right now are starting to charge kind of fines for people who go to the ER when they shouldn't have. Okay. So that's one part of the problem. And the second part is there's others who, let's say someone is having a heart attack and they actually have chest pain, but you know, they're like, you know what, I don't want to go to the ER, I don't want to wait in line, you know, and what happens is you end up seeing them two days later and oh, it's already wow. too late. You can't fix that heart attack. So the, the damage is already done. So you get kind of, you know, yeah. this whole problem with inefficiency of emergency care um, um, you know, and it's two sides is there. So what we're trying to do with Ember 2 is that the way I see this is we see this as a 
uh, essential app on everyone's phone, just one app, kind of like, again, Lyft or Uber or, you know, if you use Twitter or whatever. Um, and you use that app whenever you have a medical emergency, any kind of medical emergency. Sure. And you get connected to, again, doctors, nurses, or paramedics who live around you and can help you navigate what to do. So if it's a life-threatening emergency, they're coming to you, they're saving your life before the ambulance comes in. If it's a non-life-threatening emergency, they're helping you figure out whether you should see your doctor tonight, right? whether you should go to urgent care, ER, what kind of transportation you should use. So should I call an ambulance or can I just call an Uber and use an Uber or a Lyft to go to the hospital? Sure. So we help them with all these things. And a lot of people actually use Dr. Google, as we call it, (laughs) to figure out what to do, figure out the symptoms. And my experience has been patients always have trouble navigating the internet. They end up seeing this, like getting fixated on the scariest diseases. Um, And and rather than, you know, kind of, you know what, no, this is a common cold, you know, they're they're thinking, oh, this might be cancer. And they get concerned. Um, So... This also gives them a real person on the other side of, you know, the phone or, you know, even through video or chat who can help them very quickly navigate, you know, whether they should be concerned or not, etc. Yeah, that's fair. I, I know, like, anytime you Google something medical related, you can almost make anything out to be the worst possible scenario, right? And you get freaked exactly. out. Like, yeah, it's it's quite fascinating how, how that kind of that it probably is not helping the medical profession when people uh play google md themselves right exactly exactly so so that's the you know and again these are things that people don't think about much uh but it's something that you know i've seen in clinical practice a lot um and and it's a problem again that is you know making emergency care very very inefficient and a lot of money is just wasted there so that's what we're trying to do so eventually just one app on your phone it's kind of like Uber. It takes you through a few questions, and through these questions, helps determine what kind of you know care you should get. Whether someone should come to you right away, save your life, or whether someone should chat with you and kind of figure out what the next steps are. No, that that makes a lot of sense. So, yep. how yep. soon do you think you'll you guys will be outside of the Bay Area and beyond? Uh, so right now we are working on, again, we're, we're going to start the piloting with San Mateo or right. kind of Northern California area in the next sure. month or so. Uh, but we're also discussing uh, some collaborations in Florida and in New York Okay. Uh, also to run kind of some pilots. And I think over the next few months, um, as we make sure that the cardiac arrest uh, uh, part is working, et cetera, and as we raise more money, then we'll start working on the triage or the telehealth uh, component of it. So I, I think I'm I'm hoping that it will be out for people to use in the next, you know, three, four months. Uh, and then the triage part, hopefully by the by the end of 2019, we should have it uh, up and rolling. And then interestingly, too, we're also working with some international partners, okay. um, such as Singapore and, cool. uh, and Qatar. Okay, so, sure. so Singapore and Qatar have a centralized healthcare system, so it makes it much easier to navigate uh, versus the U.S. Okay, what does that uh, mean for people that don't know what that means? So it means that, so in the U.S., every county has its own EMS system. 
Oh, wow. I didn't know so, that. So, Interesting. Yeah. So, so literally, if you want to work with EMSs, you have to just go from one county to the other. Wow. Kind of trying to, you know, show them, you know, how Ember can help save the community, et cetera, et cetera, and its value. Okay. Uh, versus, you know, countries like Singapore, Qatar, where they have that problem. And uh, even Singapore, for example, traffic is really bad that ambulance times are usually 20 to 30 minutes. Wow. Although it's a very tech-savvy population they know how to use the apps they said that they have a lot of defibrillators but their problem is the ambulance times wow. so if you provide that intervention where you know your neighboring doctor or nurse can save your life until the ambulance comes in this can be really really uh, beneficial to their community gotcha and qatar is the same kind of thing but what's interesting is which is something that you know you might find interesting too uh, are you a soccer fan at all uh I used to play as a kid. I don't really follow it, to be 100% honest with you. No, but, no it's but, okay. So, uh, yeah, world, the World Cup uh, sure. is coming in 2022 in Qatar. Uh, okay. And as you know, in 2026, it's actually going to be in North America, right? So it's going to be in Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. Oh, so what, okay, very yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, so what we're trying to do with Qatar right now um, is we're trying to work with them on the idea of using our app during the World Cup. So let me tell you how that works. So, of course, in any large, you know, uh, uh, sports event, and it's, it's actually yeah. a month-long event, uh, there are millions of fans pouring in the country, usually like one to three million. Sure. Uh, so those fans, first of all, they don't know uh, where any of the hospitals or ERs or whatever are in Qatar. Second of all, uh, they have, uh, there's a language barrier, right? Because, oh, sure. Right. And then third of all, so there's been some studies such as one from Germany's World Cup in 2006 showing that the rate of cardiac events doubles or triples during the World Cup. And that's because people get so emotional. Right. And all sure. Yeah. So, so now there's these fans who are at high risk of cardiac events and they're in a country and they don't know how to navigate the medical system. Right. So what we're trying to do is what we're proposing here is that you know every fan coming to Qatar would have the FIFA World Cup app on their phone shows sure. them where the stadiums are activities are etc but they would also have this essential emergency medical emergency app that they can access whenever there's a medical emergency sure. and and that would be connected to medical professionals in Qatar sure so it would identify their exact locations right away so they sure. don't have to describe where they are which you know can be so difficult when you're sure. in a different country yeah uh, and it also goes through language barriers because we'll have different languages sure and the and it provides um and and then connects you with the local uh, medical professionals who can come in again save your life if it's a cardiac arrest before the ambulance comes in or even you know uh, talk to you about what to do maybe even come visit you do a concierge home visit if it's like a fever or something which can be, you know, treated with some antibiotics or something like that. Sure. So, so that's how we, that's what we're trying to work with Qatar on. It would be the first time that anyone does something like this for a large scale sports event. That's and, right. and I can envision that, you know, if it works well, which I think it will, if you apply it, uh, it's going to save a lot of lives and, you know, it will also help people focus on what they, uh, what they enjoy most, which is the world. Sure. Um, and then if it works, then, you know, we can, you know, consider trying it in other uh, events like the Olympics, like, sure. uh, you know, uh, world forums or, or events that, 
you know, where there's a lot of visitors and uh, and so on. And then, of course, imagine how it would work for people traveling from one country to the other. Let's say yeah. you travel to, you know, Italy or something. You sure. know, what happens? And that's something that people don't think about. What happens yeah. if you have a medical emergency? Yeah. You know, you're you're you don't know the language. You don't know what number to call. You can't describe where you are. So, you know, naturally, the outcomes of any life-threatening emergency are going to be bad. Yeah, no, fair enough. So uh, eventually, would you guys potentially build in Google Translate or some other translating service too? So you could potentially live translate on the fly? Well, that's what we're hoping to do. You know, again, this is going to be kind of a platform, which, uh, you know, like, again, the value of it is the people who are on it. Sure. And then the software itself is going to, you know, we're, we're going to have some algorithms in it. We're going to, you know, connect it to translating services sure. and all that stuff. Uh, so that's how we envision it, the long-term vision. Okay. So eventually, would you potentially roll this out to hospitals or other kind of care care facilities so they could almost monitor their patients or the people living at those facilities? Because I could see that tie-in as well. Yes, yes. No, that's definitely an interesting point. I think as we continue to move forward, especially as we integrate with, you know, again, smart wearables or, you know, implantable sensors or so, I think a lot of hospitals might find it interesting. So, for example, like I'll tell you in cardiology, there are these patients who are at high risk of cardiac arrest, but they don't they're not high risk enough that they would qualify for an implantable defibrillator. Gotcha. I'm not sure if you've heard of an implantable defibrillator, yeah. but it's the, yeah, it's like pacemakers or so. Okay. Um, so they're high risk enough, but they don't qualify for implantable defibrillators because okay. these come with their own risk. So maybe these people, what we do in them is implant a sensor and then have a defibrillator close by. And then what happens is if some, if you know cardiac arrest is detected, then the system is notified, someone comes to their rescue with a defibrillator, and they can save their life. Um, so, so there are patient populations where we think might benefit from uh, this kind of platform. And of course, as we, as we keep developing this, imagine, like, you know, imagine what hospitals uh, uh, can do in terms of reaching to their communities. Sure. So for example, like, you know, I'll, I'll give an example of the Cleveland Clinic because that's where I used to work. Okay. So Cleveland Clinic has all these hospitals, right, in, in the Cleveland area and the sure. surrounding areas. But, you know, they, it's hard for them to reach out to the communities in the rural areas, you know, uh, like, sure. and even if they do, it's usually like small centers or so. Now imagine they roll a platform like this to their patients all over in the rural areas. So what happens is a lot of their physicians and a lot of their nurses and a lot of their paramedics also tend to live in these areas. Sure. So what happens is if we work with hospitals, then suddenly hospitals don't only take care of patients in the hospitals, but they're also taking care of them outside the hospital. Sure. And then, of course, you know, also on the other hand, for the medical professionals, it's a good opportunity to make an extra gig, right? It's it's the whole gig economy that Lyft, Uber, Airbnb came up with. You know, yeah. you can be at home and you can, you know, uh, make money taking phone calls or make more money actually going to patients and responding in person. Sure. So th- that's how we see this eventually kind of coming, you know, like, yeah. again, being something that you know, really br- brings the medical professionals to their neighbors, uh, close to their neighbors, uh, sure. in their communities outside the hospital. 
No, that makes a lot of sense. I, I think that's that's really awesome what you guys are doing with the platform. I, I think it's a much needed thing globally, right? And there's very yeah. few companies that can have basically a global impact overnight, right? Yes, yes. No, it's going to take time. It's going to sure. take a lot of effort. But I think, you know, we're, you know, this is, uh, um, I call, it's, it's a very brave idea too, you know, because a lot of, a lot of companies are always scared about sure. with the legal implications and all this stuff, which is definitely a reasonable, you know, thing to think about. And sure. again, we're going to have coverage and all this stuff. But, you know, how long are we going to continue to be scared of this? You know, this is a huge problem. It needs to be fixed. Yeah. I'm surprised that it hasn't been fixed so far. Sure. And, and to be honest, I think that's where the future is going. If you ask me if in 10 years to 20 years time, if there's going to, if let's, let's say, you know, like, you know, we, you know, we, we don't make it. Okay. If in 10 years time, no one else does something like this, I'll be so surprised. It will mean that we have completely failed as a health community and as a tech community. Because, you know, it's one of those things where it's a low hanging fruit. Technology sure. is there. We're riding on multiple waves of technology that are coming up. All we're doing is just setting up the platform. Kind of like, again, what Lyft or Uber have done over the past few years. So yeah. I think it's something that's coming, you know? No, that makes sense. And I, I also think too... Um, to your point, the fact that um, companies like Apple are starting to build in heart sensors. Well, I, I guess it's been around for a while now. And Google's kind of doing that as well. And, and Fitbit and all those other. Um, yes. So I think, though, it's becoming more and more um, accepted and people are actually buying these watches or, or other devices that they wear on their bodies outside the tech community, right? And so yes, I think yes. people are more and more open to technology being on them and around them and using technology, especially when it can save their life or make them healthier, where I think maybe a decade or so ago, a lot of people would be like, well, I would, I don't want that. I, I don't need that. Right. Where it's becoming exactly. such a commonplace now that the average person feels more comfortable with this thing. And I think there's a large percentage of the population. And you can tell me if I'm wrong, that would potentially implant something in them to notify somebody that if it, if they go through something that they need somebody to come immediately to save their life. Right. I think people are scared about implanting stuff in a lot of cases but if it's something that could save their life i think a lot of people would do that is and it sounds like you found that as well yes i i mean i, I there's no doubt uh, that what you're saying is true i mean there, there was just an article uh yesterday about how by the end of 2019 it's estimated that almost one in every 10 americans will have a smart wearable sure and the trend is gro growing globally and all these tech companies as you said they know that this is coming so that's the first wave, and then that's going to be definitely followed by a wave of implantable sensors. Because, you know, again, this is where the future is going. Sure. It's this passive monitoring of your health. You're doing whatever you're doing in life, but somewhere, somehow, usually probably through AI algorithms and so on, there's continuous monitoring of your health. Sure. Uh, and part of it is monitoring when devastating medical emergencies like cardiac arrest occur when your heart stops yeah right yeah. and this is step one step two is connecting you to 911 and the doctor who lives next to you because they can literally come in save your life yeah no that makes and sense. then 
Yes. And then step three is maybe even delivering the first aid equipment to you sure. via drones, via, you know, again, uh, uh, like transportation uh, 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 means that are faster than an ambulance. Yeah. So this is this is like, I mean, again, this is me sitting there and, you know, just imagining how beautiful the future is going to be. Oh, I uh, and, and I think, again, you know, as you know, Uber has and, and Lyft have have proven it to us over the past few years. Right. Like sure. no one would have ever thought that. You know, we would see, you know, cars coming towards us to pick us up and so on. And this is just how I see this eventually turning out in the next five to 10 years. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Right. And it, it's going to be interesting to see how how the whole thing plays out, because I, I think it's much needed and also potentially having the ability to have my medical records pulling into your app. So. Yes certain people can have access to it as long as I allow it. Right. Yes. I know some people yes. say no, but um, if, if the person that shows up to my house to save my life knows my medical history or enough information to make the right call, then I, I think that could be really useful for you guys as well. Right. 100%. So part of what we're building is this, we're gathering kind of basic medical information. Sure. Uh, about the the patient, so that again, it's very useful for the person saving their life to come uh, to uh, to have. Sure. And then also, you know, I don't know if you know or not, but you know, uh, Apple has been working on their um, on like uh, their own EHR or kind yeah. of medical record on the on the Apple phone. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Um, yep. And actually, what they did was they're opening up the API for third-party developers. Oh, interesting. So again, as long as the person, uh, the individual gives that app uh, uh, access to, to their information on the Apple Health, we can extract that. So I think, again, as you know, again, this is us, you know, and using multiple technologies that are coming out. So as sure. as Apple builds that too, and as more people tend to have all this information on their phones, yeah. we can also pull that information in the setting of a medical emergency and send it to the medical professional. Very cool, man. But we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So... Let's close with mentioning where people can get more information about you guys and any other links you want to mention. Yes. So uh, first of all, uh, uh, thank you, Kevin, for hosting me. It's been uh, really wonderful uh, sharing this with you. Um, it's been great. And, and for, the, for anyone who's interested, they can visit our website, which is www.embermed.com. Um, and, uh, my, our Twitter account is at Ember medical. My personal Twitter, Twitter account is MB Al Shazli. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's, that's where you can find, uh, uh, any information that uh, you would like about us. And then our, if you're a medical professional and you're listening to us, you can start downloading our app, uh, so that, uh, you'll have it on your phone, you'll register. And then once we're ready to kind of get to work in your area, then we'll, uh, we'll also contact you and let you know. Perfect, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time and your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you, and have a good rest of your day, man. Awesome. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.